A History of Live Sound with Chris Sam. This is part three of my interview with Mark Coyle, the man who made Oasis hit you between the eyes. Hear about illegal drinking dens in Mossside, what happens when you ask Noel Gallagher to turn his guitar down, and quitting the biggest gig in the country. It's really interesting to hear that you had a, a strong moral reason for saying, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, I had, ex- is- I had extreme views on that, yeah. and, I, and I still carry them to these days. Yeah. Did you have a plan for what you wanted to do at that point, or were you just, you were like, you know what, I'm just going to find something different to do? Because I just found something different. I started working in the studio more after that. And even then, after that, I sacked that because it was fucking getting on my tits. It was just getting on my nerves. Mm. In the end, I just couldn't stand bands anymore. <laughs> couldn't stand it, you know. Couldn't stand the, the finickiness of the, of the studio. It was ridiculous. You know, and, and in some ways, it, it kind of relates to some, not all, but some modern stage productions, like, like where you might have yeah, ten microphones on a drum kit. And that pisses, that irritates me, that. I find it highly irritating. You don't need two mics on a bass drum. That fucking that just annoys me. That I just think that's right up your fucking ass. I, I don't. I don't get it. You don't need two. Now I can understand two on a snare, top and bottom. Yeah, get on that. But two. I got a gig to mix recently. Somebody sent me a gig, so it arrived. I was like, right, okay, pull it up in the the Pro Tools. And there's 40 channels, something like that. Oh, why why has it got all these channels? There's only drums, bass, two brass, acoustic guitar, two vocals, and a keyboard. Right? 40-odd channels. Right? So I was like... All about, you know, I, I thought there was going to be like look, they're all going into different instruments I thought it was going to be a really expansive kind of gig but they all play that they don't swap instruments there's nothing yeah. they don't pick another instrument there's nothing up. more than that and how many channels uh, 15 odd channels on the drums <laughs> it irritated me that much that I just turned it off and I'm not doing it I'm not doing that job because of the way it's been uh, recorded. I'm not having that. I'm not doing that. Mm. You know, the music is not that fucking complicated, and recording a live sound ain't that fucking complicated. It's too complicated. That's too fucking much. You know, that's like having bullets in a PA like that. <laughs> bullets in a PA. You'd say you're having a fucking laugh. Unplug them. You know, fucking get them unplugged. Sub bass. Just turn that fucking amp off, please. You know. <laughs> You know, I don't get... I'm stuck. I'm stuck in that old, uh, yeah, earthy kind of place. Is and the was... industry can fuck off, you know. can just fuck off. I saw a guy called Robert Collins who was mixing Queen. It was just a festival in Japan. And because I had a pass for one of the other stages, yeah, so I just yeah, walked yeah. into front of house and listened at front of house to him mixing Queen. He's mixed The Who for years as wow. well. Right. He was one of the main people who started Concert Sound in oh, South Wales. Oh, really? Okay, okay. I chatted to him afterwards, and I noticed his mix didn't have much sub in it. 
Oh, really? It was all. It was bass, mm. but it was quite polite. It was about the guitars. Mm. The kick was there, but it wasn't enveloping you. Mm. It, was, it sounds like you're listening on a massive hi-fi. Okay, yeah. There's no sort of like earth-shuddering mm. low mm. end or anything. Mm. And he had a rack mount parametric EQ to one side, and he said, "Whatever the song is, I try and find some of the fundamental notes in it and just sort of calm them down a little bit." Mm. He said. I'll tune the bass of the PA per mm. song because I don't want sub in there. The guys probably mix more stadiums than we yeah, have yeah, dinners bet, yeah, combined. I bet, yeah, it'd be very experienced, will not it? And he was like, it's just, it's just unnecessary in this situation. Mm. You will have a better gig. And if, and if you have to drop in a little bit of low end at some point, you drop it in mm. and everyone goes, ooh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. So and then you take it away. An exciting moment. They said it, you know, and, and it was interesting just hearing someone who's got such experience saying sure. that mm. doesn't make the band sound better because yeah. it's Queen. Yeah, it's, yeah. No one listens to Queen going, oh, feel that 40 hertz at home, do they? No, so, they don't, do they? No, so no, it, was, no. it was a good lesson. Mm. It was like, all I want to hear is 80 and 100 hertz. Yeah, I don't yeah, want, yeah. I don't yeah, want Well, the, you know, 100 hertz, 120 hertz, what a great frequency that is. It's one of my favourites. You can do anything with it, you know. You can, you can, you can sit at home, you know, in the studio. It's a, it's, a, it's a great area to be in. Any lower than that, I mean, you know, mm. I'm not so sure about things that go on <laughs> that low. <laughs> Unless it's one of them big reggae systems, you know, like, man, they went, they went somewhere else. They went to Australia. Them things, you know, they went real low. They were heavy systems. I mean, you couldn't mix a band in, in a system like that. But for the music that they were but designed for... the for. records, they were playing yeah. good. Lord. Very Damn. clever engineers, the, the people who made that Jamaican stuff, you know, in the mm. 60s and the 70s. When, when I was working for Power Assistance, that, that PA system, one of his customers was one of the kind of semi-illegal drinking dens in Mossad back in the 80s. And we, we used to go and do a few bands down there. And, man, their engineers, you wouldn't mix the gig. There's some big heavyweight guy come in and he'd mix that gig. But fuck me, they were fucking awesome engineers. Awesome. Don't know who they were, where they'd come from, fuck knows, don't know, you know, were they live engineers, studio engineers? They were so brave, uh, firing effects, you know, that type yeah. of music lends itself to stuff. But there was one guy in particular, he'd come in with a little box and in it is a Roland Space Echo. And he was just bonkers on that machine. He knew how the machine worked really, really yeah. well. So, I mean, the gig was awesome sounding anyway. And he made Reggie's PA, which wasn't the greatest, but he made it just sound fucking astonishing. A big, heavy fucking reggae band playing. And he'd be firing in this stuff on Space Echo. And I'd jaw-dropped watching it. Just just an amazing <laughs> performance, you know, by an engineer. And then eventually, I've got a few of them, but I was putting them on guitars and stuff like mm. that. But he'd, he'd be banging it on his vocals and drums and all kinds of stuff, and he'd be like, wow, that's just... I don't know, it's just something dead brave about it, you know. It didn't matter that if you turned everything off and you just listened to noisy channels trying to find... 
you know, where, where's that where's that buzz coming from? You know, when you're going through muting things. Well, that space I could just be going. <clears throat> <laughs> but that's yeah. part of the makeup of the whole sound. Then the thing is, this may be like being some sort of frustrated musician, but you want to feel like you've added to the performance somehow. Sure thing, yeah, yeah, and absolutely correct. I, yeah. I mix, you know, Cream, the club in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. So they do a classical orchestra version of some hits, because, really? you know, all the people right. who were at Cream are now in their sort yeah, of Yeah, they're all as old as me. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I want this bit of it to sound like the record. What happens on the record? Well, all the strings go through a big phaser. Oh, wicked. Right, yeah. okay. Find a phaser, and people are like, oh, "Are you sure you can put a phaser across the orchestra?" It's like, "Oh, let's try it." Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I haven't been sacked from a gig yet for doing these things. No, you won't. But, but, but it's, well, it's probably astonishing to hear it. You know, I tell you what, there's there's something about putting a phaser across a whole orchestra and going, "Yeah, yeah why not? Why not? Yeah, Who yeah, says yeah. That I can't? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. You're the engineer, man. You do yeah. whatever you fucking fancy, you know. And I just, you shouldn't be ever, anyone ever tell you otherwise, you know. The thing is, people come to a gig and they want to feel immersed. Yeah, they do, yeah, on. exactly. And if you yeah, can yeah. do something that helps with that immersion... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then... I mean, that's, that's partly why I used to put the PA system at the back. We'd, we, had, we ended up with using two PA systems in one room. Mm. You know, like one at the front, one at the back, and you are completely... You just uh, there's no escape. The Who did o- you do that with? I used to do that with Oasis. Was the first uh, was was the first and only one I could do it with because they had the budget to do it, uh, and they let me do it, cause, which was fantastic. You know, they did, let did me you, do that. Did you just split it off left and right then, or did you have a matrix? No, I I I'd, I'd do the front just as a left and right, and then I do the backs on auxiliaries. Uh-huh. So I could send anything I wanted, so I'd, yeah. I'd mix out into it, but then I could send things where I wanted. You know, if there was a mad bit of the gig, say, the, the, you know, the last five minutes of the gig, it just all goes fucking bananas. You can just start sending stuff all over the place and it, it, you get that kind of movement of stuff yeah. all around it. And it's a nice little moment. You've got to wait until the end of the gig, obviously, you know. Yeah. can't do it mid-gig. You've got to bide your time. What do you do after that, you know? And you've, sa- and you've saved your 5% on the masters, yeah. you know, and all that, so... It's like, you can't leave a phaser on an orchestra for a whole gig, but if no, you no, choose no, the right time to do the, it... You've got to do it, you've got then to it in really, the right place. Yeah, and really, then it, the impact is enormous, then, you know. But then, you know, after I was doing that, I mean, you know, nobody else did it. The first place I did it was Sheffield Arena. Uh, very early on, it was the biggest gig they'd played up to that point, and that was the... I think that was the first one that I put a PA at the front and then we hung a PA half kind of... They weren't like delays, it was more like another PA and it was facing, it was hung way back and facing in. And I think they thought I was a bit fucking mad <laughs> <laughs> to even attempt it, you know. It'd yeah. be like, oh, well, we could just see problems happening with this kind of thing. But I didn't fucking hear any problems, I just thought it was fucking great, you know. <laughs> So if there was there was any phasing problems, I didn't fucking hear it, you know. Yeah. There is an aspect of working for a band where someone in the band has worked backstage as it were. Mm. Maybe if Noel hadn't had his inspired carpets experience, yeah. he might not have been on your side and gone, Yeah, yeah, no, you try that. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. 
he, he, he might, knew he where you were coming from. He might not have even known that that's why the PA bill was so big because there was two, <laughs> two PAs. Yeah, and that's not, why it never happened again one, because someone cottoned on. Not one. And then, people, and then people might say, you know, yeah, that was loud. And they, they did have a reputation of being loud, but they were, you know, and they needed to be loud. And mm. when they weren't loud, I don't think it was the same. He really, really fucking wasn't. And they were loud. Fuck me. You know, Noel's guitars, they were outrageous, especially in the smaller venues. They were fucking outrageous, you know. Utterly outrageous. You know, he'd be doing a, doing a gig and he'd just fighting his guitar all the way through the gig, you know. But then that taught me other things as, as well as how to make that PA that little bit louder because I was fighting him. Yeah. I only ever asked him once to back it off a little bit because he couldn't hear was that Was that couldn't hear before anything. you went home? <laughs> well, it was, it, was, it was close to that. He just told me directly and straight in my face, fuck right off. Fuck off. <laughs> Don't ever fucking say that to me again. Fuck right off. I was in a sound check at some tiny gig in America. We were doing the sound check and I just walked out to the desk and just pulled the faders down and went and, you know, got a sandwich and a cup of tea and I thought, I can't mix that. I wait until there's a load of people in the gig and, you know, I might fucking stand a bit of a chance. And then, obviously, you get a load of people in and it's that little bit fucking different, so yeah. I just scrapped the in, in the end, I was just doing really short sound checks in them clubs. There's no point. Yeah. You know, so just, is uh, everything working? I and a lot right. of times, you see line checks, is it working? Yeah, is it working? Yeah, is it working? Yeah, 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 I'm sweet. How's your monitors? A friend of mine mixes monitors for Liam at the moment. Oh right, okay. He, yeah, I think he, I think he's one of the longest serving monitor engineers has been currently. Oh right, okay, right, good on But it. he said once the gig started, you know if something's broken because it will all go quiet because it's so loud. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And he recognises the brands of the speakers, and he's like going, "That's not my normal speaker." Oh, I see. Right, okay. Um, because right. he knows what's he's loud enough himself. for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was at Transmit Festival in Glasgow. We'd played, and we were loading the truck, and I, I literally had to shout into other people's ears for them to hear me because all you could hear was his vocal. I mean, it's so impressive. How loud it is. It's, it is an instrument on its own. It's like, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone probably needs it anywhere else on stage. I well, thought so. It's, no, it's, no, no. No, but I mean, there, there's a guy who, who kind of lives by that principle as, as well, that he wants it like that. You know, I mean, I ended up as their engineer because I understood. I, I was in sync with that, you know, and I was in a, in harmony with that because that's what I wanted as well. We both wanted the same thing. We wanted it to be absolutely fucking bonkers. Yeah. And it was, but controlled bonkers. And a bit on the vicious side, you know. Yeah. But on the violent side, you know. If you can have a powerful and uh yeah violent kind of vicious sound coming out but under some kind of control that, that's what they were you know mm. maybe not the band but certainly the brothers you know yeah they exuded that kind of insane authority Risk. you know and the yeah, and the risk taking was really quite enormous you know but i took that to my side as well and i took some risks as well you know and they always paid off you know there was very few 
gigs, if any, that, that were kind of, you know, so out of control that I lost control. That never happened, you know. It's, it, got, it's, it got close, but that's where it got good. It's a fine line. It's, it's just mm. when you're dancing on that line of feedback and... Yeah, sure, that's where it's at. But I play a lot of gigs myself these days, and I do it just on acoustic... Um, but I, I, do, I do a lot of gigs a year, maybe 150, 160, 170 wow. gigs a year. Just play, go out playing the pubs and that. But uh, that's where I live with me acoustic, is just constantly right on the edge of a feedback and I want a bit of feedback. I can, I can just take my hand away and, and there it is and it just goes fucking bit bananas for a second, but it's right on the fucking edge of being a bit nasty you know but that's kind of where I like it and that's where I like my bands to be as well yeah not a kind of play. I mean some bands have worked for it's not like that you know and they're good in their own kind of ways you know like say uh, know, the brand new Evies something like that. I, yeah. I spent a, a while working with that band as well and they, they were a different kettle of fish that was all smooth dancey cockney fucking funk. jazzy funky yeah. You know, you know, I kind of enjoyed it, but you know, rock and roll it wasn't. You know, they were right up their asses, them people. Unfortunately, I'm sure they were nice enough people, you know, but you know, after working with them for six months, they didn't even know what my fucking name was. You know, that that's an industry gig, that. Yeah. You know, somebody'd find that acceptable, just getting paid every week, and who's asked what the fucking engineer's name is? You know. Yeah. Don't really like that myself, you know. I'd rather know, if, mm. you know, a little but, bit about them or what they're into, and you know. But it's interesting though that importance of would it have all been the same, you know, if you weren't adding that final bit of aggression? Yeah, to yeah, yeah, things, sure. Yeah, would it have come across the same? No, it wouldn't have come across the same. And I see, I'd, I'd seen it myself when I was watching other engineers doing it in a in a more controlled kind of environment and I just thought it was boring actually and a bit and a bit lifeless and and I, I don't know is it, is it what the industry kind of requires at a certain level as well I think I think so you know and that's not where I would want to be you know yeah. so, as soon as I recognised that kind of thing I just walked because I, I when I left my job at Shell as a fitter I swore to myself that I would never work if I wasn't enjoying it. If I'm not enjoying it, I'm fucking out of there. It's as simple as that. And I lived, I live that rule to this day. If I'm doing something and I'm not enjoying it, fucking, what are you doing it for then? Yeah. What the fucking, what's that all about? If you want to go to work, go to the fucking bank, go and get a job and don't complain about it. Yeah. But if you're doing something that you've made the choice to do, also, don't fucking dare complain about it. <laughs> if you're not enjoying it, get the fuck out and do something else. Yeah. Don't do nothing. Go and do something else. Go and enjoy your life. Because all of a sudden, you'd be 70 and fucks. And you know, a fucking bag here full of your own piss and sat in a wheelchair and it'll all be fucking over. So while you're doing it... While the going's good, You get out fucking there. enjoy yourself. <laughs> and if you're not enjoying it, don't be fucking frightened. Get the fuck out and do something you're enjoying. I think that's my philosophy on everything, you know, is if you're not enjoying it, don't fucking bother. Don't waste your own time. And especially in something like the music thing, don't waste other people's time because that's bang out of order, you know. That's way out of line. 
you know, you're dealing with people who live and die, you know, the fans, man. You know, I'm a fan of music, so, you know, as we are, yeah. you know what that feels like, and especially if you've grown up, like, in love with bands and, you know, stuff. I used to fucking love the bands I, I used to go and watch. I was just in, in awe, you know. I, I thought they were gods from a different fucking planet, you know. It's only later on I found out that they weren't, but, <laughs> you know, that was that was what drove me, you know. That yeah. thing, whatever it was, that electricity and that excitement and death the next day and, you know, fee feeling, you know, just feeling like you've been assaulted by music. That's where I'm at, anyway. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's the, uh, the the Mark Coyle philosophy. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it, it kind of is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the biggest philosophy of the lot is to make sure you're enjoying it. Don't ever be miserable doing something that you like. Brilliant. So instead now I just sit here and I don't have to, I don't deal with, with anybody, you know. Mm. I just sit here and I, I mean, even my children fucking knock before they come in. I mean, that's really sad. That's really sad. And it is really sad, but, You've it's, got them trained. but it's fucking true, you know. They they respect that area that, that I need to be in, you know. Yeah. And if they see them in here, you know, then they kind of just fucking leave me alone, you know. It's, it's really cool. But I do the same with that. It's the same with me. I couldn't just walk into their bedroom. Because mm. you can't with your kids, can you? Yeah. You can't just walk in. You know, these days you've got fucking knock before you go in. You know, you've got all this to come. But my, <laughs> my, my, mine are 18 and 20 and they're, they're beautiful children, lovely kids, you know. But you make sure you fucking knock before you walk in that room. I tell you now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, is that it? Thanks, yeah, I think it, it came no, to a nice. Don't little... fucking edit me. <laughs> I don't let me tell you your job or anything, but fucking don't edit me to 10 minutes because I fucking hate that. Oh, no, no. I, no, stopped, no. I stopped doing interviews and all that because, because of that thing. And I could go on, you know, I could bore you to death for day. I could have you sat there for days, mm. and if you get up for a piss, I'd be like that. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you're, not, you're, fucking, you're not going anywhere. I've not even started yet. <laughs> And in, and in this conversation, man, I've not said fucking anything to you as well, you know. But the thing is, it's put across a feel of what it was like. Because that's what I'm trying to get. It's, to. A, it's a, How do you articulate what yes. something was like, though? That, I'm not purposefully sitting here and yeah. giving you anecdotes but, and things. But, it, but, that's you know. thi but that's the nice thing about it, is that find out the Mark Cole philosophy on life and mixing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the beauty of this is that it doesn't have to be a uh, yeah yeah it. totally it can yeah, just go where yeah. it goes because I, I mean I ate them things I mean I did that supersonic thing but it was only because I'd talked extensively with Noel about it and I, and I was just saying you know you know I fucking ate that fucking sitting on a fucking camera and, and it's all it's not, it's, there's nothing real about it. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. And it, but it, the way he described it to me, it, it wasn't quite like that. And, and going down and doing the interviews for that film, it was like this. And it was really fucking nice. And the guy who did that film, Matt Whitecross, mm -hmm. what a lovely fucking thing. Like you, he's just a nice, do you know what I mean? And, and obviously kind of into, in, into it on some on some level he's he's living that kind of life like you're you are an engineer you know so it's so you're not like a journalist or something so it's so it is it's got some kind of 
truth is going on. But you see, part of the interest for me as well was that back when I was working in clubs in Manchester at 1am going, I've got another hour to go before this one finishes. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like going, there's some big time Charlies somewhere who do these gigs. I wonder who it is who gets to mix Oasis every day. And yeah, obviously yeah, at, yeah, at that point yeah. it wasn't you. But I, yeah, I was yeah, like... Yeah. One day, I'll find that person and I'll chat to them. And when I started doing this, I asked all sorts of people, where where can I find it? And eventually, I sort of asked all the people who I knew who'd been around that time. One day I was like, hang on a second. Martin Mittler, he was was around, he was an interstellar. I'll try Martin. And Martin was like, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Played with him in a band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, well, it's funny. It's funny. He played bass in my band as well, Martin. He, he was the first one. I wouldn't have anybody else. I wanted Martin, and he said yes. I was so. I've happy. never heard him play bass. Oh, he's he's like McCartney. He's the greatest bass player. Him and Manny, I'd say, uh, uh, they're two greatest bass players that that I've ever seen. And I've never played with Manny, but I lived with him. Yeah. So. It kind of counts a little bit because <laughs> I kind of see it all in action. Yeah. But Mittler, when I took some pretty serious moves into playing in bands and all that, I joined his band before Interstellar, which they were called Laugh. They did two singles they had, but they were one of the precursors of the electronic, electric mix kind of thing that was coming out of Manchester in the kind of 87, 88, that kind of time. One of the singles was called Sensation Number One. You could probably YouTube them. And, oh, what's the other one? I can't remember what the other one's called, but I heard them singles, I was like, that is fucking amazing. It was just a crossover, but they were using electronics and little drum beats, and but they were playing over the top of it. And Mittler... He was the fucking bass player. And was he programming the computer and stuff? I don't know. It was in them days where they'd be loading things at the computer from cassette. So if it fucked up in a gig, it, it, you'd, you'd have to go... You'd have to give us a few minutes because <laughs> we, we got to load it all back up off cassette. <laughs> Those are the days. They all did it in new order with the same. They had chaos there, gigs, you know. So, crashing, left, right, crash, crash, crash. Everything's crashing. Madness, you know. I was lucky in that I was... At the at the time where people just bring their desktop computer and stick it on the stage. Yeah. And you'd be like, God, it looks like someone's set up a home office in the back there. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's at least reached a point where things tended to work. I mean, you know, you got to hand it to Apple. I mean, Apple was always the go-to stage computer, even way back when they were making the very first Apples, they, they always said, Apple, if you're doing computer music with your computer on stage... It's got to be Apple because they crash the least. Like they still crash. <laughs> they just don't crash as much yeah. as your Atari. Oh, Atari's on stage. Oh my goodness me! The gigs just the gigs are half an hour longer than they should be because you know it's it's just crash gone, crash gone, crash. It's just crash after crash. But laugh. They were in that cool little fucking group of bands that were kind of experimenting kind of just outside the two guitars and bass scene. I met Mittler because my band at the time, we we were playing some gigs at the boardwalk, but Mittler 
always seen to be engineering us, so, so we got to know uh, him. And then the next thing was his guitarist left his band. I left my band and I went to join his band. So I'd, I'd sat in and played with Laugh for a bit and then that kind of dissipated to something else and then they turned into Interstellar. That was my favourite band, Black, for, <laughs> for, a good, for a good... And I still, until even about two months ago, still play Sensation number one. And I loved all that, you know. I was kind of part of it. I was always on the periphery of bands like Laugh. They were always in this thing that you couldn't you couldn't get in. It was like, it was like a, a glass bowl or something. You couldn't get into them bands, you know. But eventually I did. I started working for them all. Brilliant. But before that, yeah. it was unattainable, that thing. It's like a secret, secret world. Society. Yeah, it really was. You know, all that factory stuff and all that. They, yeah. were, they even looked like, if you, if you met somebody from factory or the Hacienda or something, they had a certain look to them. Yeah, they were like they were all in a fucking thing together. Bastards, a lot of them. You couldn't get in. And then eventually I was in it and I didn't even realise. Yeah, and even today, I don't even fucking realise. They're saying to the kids, they're saying, oh, this fucking geezer is coming around and, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this podcast. And they were like, that, what are you going to do? You're <laughs> going to do that? So I said, yeah. I said, well, I talked to him on the phone. I said, and I'm going to, I just decided I'm going to fucking do it. And I was kind of sat thinking, and I, in a funny way, I was thinking, well, really, it's the right thing to do because I am one of those dinosaurs but I have no concept of that. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, you're younger than me, so you'd be looking at me a different way than I think I'd be looking at me. Are, are, are you, uh, you know still 18 I mean? inside? I don't know. <laughs> I, I was always ageless. When I was 18, I wasn't 18. Mm. And now I'm 56 now, but I don't feel older or younger. Yeah. I just feel like what I, I just I am what I am. I don't have that concepts if you know what I mean of age it all just going on around me but yeah it just took me the other night and I was just I don't even know what I was thinking about but it, I think it kind of hit me a little bit and I just thought I think I might have been thinking about who you'd already interviewed and I, and I really enjoyed listening to them I listened to the, the Led Zeppelin guy and the, and the Stiff Little Fingers guy because mm. the Stiff Little Fingers that was one of my favourite bands ah, I've seen right. them loads of times back in the 70s so I listened to them and I, and I just thought, God, these guys are really interesting. And I, and I hope this turns out something yeah. like one, I th one I of them. I think Because I really enjoyed listening to them. And, but they're quite obviously from a different era. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And then I was kind of thinking, yeah, but so are you, Mark. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, you know, so... That being the case, invite Chris round and, the, the and do and do cool. that thing because what is you know completely uninteresting or just a bit irrelevant to me might actually uh, hold some interest for somebody else. You know. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, it's relevant though because you tell the story from the nascent beginnings of the punk and yeah. early 80s yeah. scene where there was a lot of music happening in lots of venues yeah, yeah, yeah. through to playing really big shows That's right, and saying yeah. well you know what big shows didn't really do it for me yeah. because they didn't get across what 
you understood to be no, a good so gig? Well, I was really, so. you know, I was really disappointed because I'd never done it before. That was what I thought it was just going to be amazing, the most amazing thing. And when I got there, it was like, oh, this is shit. I was disappointed. Bye. There's, there's, <laughs> there's people, though, who mix reasonable-sized bands, and they say, you know, there is a sweet spot. When you do a tour and it's about 2,000 people, it's like 500, it's, it's, you haven't quite got enough control over the, mm. over the PA system. A thousand, you're starting to, mm. but about two thousand, you can still feel it in your stomach. Yeah, yeah. But you've got enough control that you can do creative things. Yeah, on yeah, it absolutely, yeah, yeah. And then after that, you start to lose that immediacy. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, and, and people, you know, what people I'm saying want about to play the Apollo, these them, them theaters, that should be as big as it's allowed to get. There should be some, you know, musical dictator who's saying, <laughs> "We don't do this anymore," you know. And if I was in control of any way in the, of the music industry. Mm. I was the Hitler of the, of the music world, <laughs> or the, you know, the Mussolini or somewhere. Yeah. That's where I'd be. I'd be saying, boys, we don't do it like that anymore. We don't do that. And if I was a manager of a band, I'd be brave enough to take that step and say, we don't do that. We just do maximum 2,000. Two and a half thousand, you're pushing it. 3,000. Forget it, it's too big. Let's stay connected yeah. to the people who put us here. There's some uh, socialist fucking message <laughs> in, in there somewhere. Yeah. Let's stay connected to what put us here in the first fucking place. Let's not disconnect ourselves from yeah. this. I suppose there's an aspect of that as well. When you, when you disconnect from your audience that... You start drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. All, all of a sudden, somebody's stirring your drink for you. Oh, is that enough milk? Drop more, a little drop more. Oh, fucks it up. I'll make you another one. <laughs> like, uh, you know, that life shouldn't fucking be like that, you know. Yeah. Don't fucking pamper, you know. Just be connected with, with you know, what whatever you're into, what you're doing. And especially bands, stay connected. I'm sure... You know, massive bands do have a, an image in their mind that they are very connected with the fans. But, you know, I think the gig is the proof in the pudding in that, is that they're not. They're more connected with the industry. They're more connected with the corporate side of the industry than the where it's really happening, yeah. you know. And where it's really happening is something that they forgot about because they were there once as well, because they used to pay and go and watch bands to inspire them to be in bands mm. and then when it comes to be their turn what do they do they go and you know play to 20,000 instead of playing you know a few more gigs it's 2,000 or 3,000 and stay you know and, and revitalise that theatre fucking tour what a tour that is <laughs> and <laughs> venues they're built for it Mm. You know what I mean? They were built for sound. Yeah. <laughs> all them theatres all over the country, you know, that's what they were built for. They were built to go and watch performances, but these fucking modern places, you know, that arena in Manchester, bloody hell. It's like doing a gig inside a tin fucking box, isn't it? It's bloody awful. I've never heard anything sound anywhere, anywhere near even acceptable in that room. 
all they do is try and make it louder and it, that's well of course that it's just it's impossible it can't work you know, mm. it's impossible better off with some that you made yourself in night and day little little pas in big venues works a treat we did a gig in norwich and we got we got the gig because nobody else had touched it because it was in Norwich. It was paying something like 70 quid or something. Something, something outrageous. So we had to hire the van, pay the fuel, feed ourselves, blah, blah, everything out of this fucking 70 quid. We ended up paying to do money to do yeah. that gig. And we set off. So they wanted us there at something like 10 in the morning, some little fucking arsey band from fucking Norwich. So we set off at midnight in a snowstorm from Manchester. <laughs> oh, and we got to Norwich about, oh, what a journey that was. Fuck me. Uh, about seven in the morning. It was a long fucking, uh, overly long drive down there. Um, we set the gear up in this fucking massive town hall venue. And the room was, it was just fucking massive. You could get, <laughs> I don't know, 2,000 people in there easy. But RPA, it was just one bass bin, one made and a horn. That's all we had. It added up to about 1,200 watts or something like that. We used to call it one and a half K, but it wasn't. It was, it was, it was more like one kilowatt or something. Yeah. You know, it was fucking tiny. And we set, our, we set our stuff up on this fucking massive stage. And it just looked, it was these two little things sat on the it stage. It looked like some vases on and, a plinth. And we just thought... Well, this is all they had. We could have hired more gear if they had paid for it. And yeah, so there was tiny PA, massive room, but it worked. And it kind of confused me a little bit because it didn't need 10 kilowatts of PA because we were doing it with a tiny PA and the gig went ahead. Everyone had a lovely time. And then we packed it all down and then we had to drive home through a snowstorm again. Oh, dearie me. I think we were something like two days, no sleep. We ended up paying out of our own pockets because we went way over fucking budget. And I got into bed that next fucking day and we'd been up for oh, two and a half days or something to go and do this gig in Norwich and I just thought, this is the life. <laughs> This is fucking brilliant. This is just insane. My, my dad just said to me, what the fuck are you doing this for? He said, you need to remember where your toolbox is. He said, and never forget where that toolbox is because you can go out and earn some fucking money. And I, and I just said to him, Dad, you don't understand. You don't understand. I said, I don't even know why I'm doing this. It just fucking feels brilliant and i love the fact that after all the adventures all of the good times and the bad mark is still so passionate about his first love music and as the saying goes find a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life thanks for listening a history of life sound is presented by me chris snow executive producer at spare women and is a bandwidth production.